when someone goes through trauma, the positiveness of trauma is that it can really make you much more mature than you would have been otherwise, which is ironic because as parents, we try and protect our kids from trauma. Welcome to your dose of high performance inspiration. You're listening to the Do This For Performance podcast. I'm your host, Pearl Narenberg. Join me as I curiously uncover the actions we can take to realize our greatest potential in life. I believe that if we consistently listen, learn, and take action in a thoughtful way, we will realize our grandest version of ourselves. So let's do this for performance today. Welcome either for the first time to the Do This For Performance podcast or welcome back fellow listener. And I say fellow because I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I love them. I love being on the go with my headset on, just enjoying the fresh air and listening to some insights. And today I'm giving you some insights into the mind. I am interviewing Dr. Thomas Bruner, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, and he specializes in working with children, adolescents, and adults alike. If you're super new to me and this podcast, well, let me give you a tiny bit of a background. I am a sports dietitian, also in the clinical medical realm. So Dr. Bruner and I got to chat a little bit about what that was all about. And I am also the owner and founder of Eat This for Performance. So you can imagine I'm a little bit performance obsessed. I want to know what it can take to get to that peak in our day and peak in our big performance in our uh, week or in our month and really nail it. I want us to be feeling that flow that they talk about, being in the zone and being able to get there again and again. Now, I always say to my parents of athletes, to athletes alike, to high performers like CEOs, we're all experiencing high performances, sometimes even daily. And if you really think about it, you need to get certain places on time and execute actions Well, the definition to me of a performance is doing the right action at the right time. So I'm sure you have a lot of those going on today. And the mindset behind them can be really helped when you have some fresh perspective. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to delve into fresh perspective with Dr. Thomas Bruner. He is from Tucson, where he resides with his wife, two children, two dogs, and four cats. And a little special piece about Dr. Bruner is that early in his psychologist career, he got an award from the Arizona Psychological Foundation, uh, already an early career award. So he's been recognized right out the gates. And when you read his materials on his blog, and I'm going to link out to his blog in the show notes here, drbruner.com, you can get so many nuggets at so many different levels that are right for where you are at right now and info that you need. Uh, He's done lots of great things like he spent five years creating and publishing a measure of anger for youth that uh, these types of measurements are useful when we're going to actually research and prove that certain ways of treating things like anger need to be can be helped and improved with a bit of a system. So we need that in research and it's cool that he was in there creating that. Um, For over a decade, this is what sticks out for me, he's been committed to delivering the most cost-effective care with the most sustainable results in the most compassionate manner. And when I reached out to Dr. Bruner to be on the podcast, he said yes right away, which really relies 
the kind of person that he is, so sharing and caring, and so I'm excited that he was able to do this and share with you. Some of the info in the interview today was circling around trauma and how it can actually accelerate learning, um, but we'll dig in there a bit more, and we talk about parenting and about how we want to be modeling behavior and how that is a very big piece of the puzzle today as a parent. And we do talk a little bit about um, anxiety and where optimal performance can occur and uh, what that optimal level of anxiety could be. He also shares with us his favorite books, which we'll also link out to in the show notes. Now, let's do this with Dr. Thomas Bruner. Okay, so I have Dr. Thomas Bruner here with me on the podcast. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I am really excited for my community to get to know you and to hear some of your insights because we are talking to high performers, either high performers in their job and work, and a lot of our high performers are young athletes. And I know you have a wealth of experience in working with young athletes. So I'm curious to know, out the gates, how do you define high performance? Well, that's a great question. And, and, and of course, for the field of uh, sports psychology, uh, that's the, that's the million dollar question. Um, you know, I, I sort of knew you'd ask me that. So I really, I put some thought into that and, and my sort of rough definition would be optimal behavioral output generated by a flow state of mind. So wow. that would okay. be, that, that's, that's kind of the nutshell. And then, you know, I can add to that as we go. Can we, can we break that down a little bit? Optimal. Absolutely. Okay. Op, yeah, go ahead. Optimal behavioral output, so performing at your best externally, and that's generated by a flow state of mind. And, and the concept of flow, um, one of the earliest people to talk about it was the University of Chicago professor by the name of Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, and he ended up writing a book called Flow. What he did was he studied how people describe their experience when they're at their best. So he talked to musicians to athletes, to all kinds of elite performers across a broad diversity of fields. And he asked them the question of what does it feel like when they're doing that? And from that, he extracted common variables that across the board seem to be in play. And he came up with this concept of flow. So this concept has increasingly been used by sports psychologists who said, wow, he, he really got at something. And so this idea of flow, other people talk about it as being in the zone. Those are some of the most common terms that have been used these days to describe humans when they're performing at their very best. They are in a state of flow or they're in the zone. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'd heard of the zone a lot before, especially with the zone diets that probably really popularized that word. And it's, um, it's been interesting to hear more recently, more people talk about flow. So I imagine that we're all trying to strive to be in flow. Would that be a fair statement? I think for, for the, the healthy uh, members of our, of our, uh, of our species. Yes, definitely. I, th I think that that is um, when someone's in flow, they're achieving the height of humanity, I think. 
Wow, that's pretty cool to think about. So we could all be in flow, not just athletes and people in the zone of high performance. I love that because it's something that I tell my parents all the time of athletes. This information we talk about high performance is also good for you. Like we can be stepping into this, uh, these zones as well and um, becoming high performers. So I know that you live the professional life. You're a professional. I wonder, do you consider yourself a high performer? Well, I think that as I've worked with elite athletes and people from all walks of life, and I mentor younger elite athletes and, and more seasoned ones and Olympic athletes, and then just all kinds of people as well, I do a lot of career mentorship. I, I, I'm more and more humbled every day at just how much potential humans have and just how far short we continue to fall, including myself. So, you know, I'm about to turn 50 and I'd say I've only glimpsed my own potential. And I'd say as a, as a race, we've only glimpsed the depths of the human condition and what we're capable of. So uh, do I consider myself a high performer? I would say on some days I'm a decent performer. <laughs> nice. But, the more and more I study human potential, the more I realize just how small we really are in the uh, voluminous picture of the mind. Interesting. So the more you're learning about potential and that, that height, do you feel like, did you feel like you were a high performer before you learned all of that? I think I used to think of myself as a much higher performer. Absolutely. And I, I believe that for those of us who are truly maturing or going for that goal of so-called enlightenment, that Eastern philosophy is so wonderfully brought into um, general discussion these days as we talk about mindfulness and enlightenment. Um, I certainly think that the younger humans are, the more they live in a bubble and the older they get, if they're maturing and, and as Jung would say, individuating and seeing their own shadow and recognizing it and owning it, that is where one can truly mature. And so the more mature somebody is, the more insightful they can be about all of their shortcomings. Okay, so maturity means that we are maybe seeing how much of a gap there is between our highest potential and, uh, and maybe that's it, it's the, the looking back and saying we thought we were you know, so awesome and now maybe we, we, we realize how much more awesome we could be. I'm, I'm just, I'm putting words in your mouth, so I won't do that. I, want, I would love to know a bit more about your background actually about uh, where you come from. Maybe you could share you know, where you grew up and how you got into uh, psychology and, and working uh, in sports psychology and, and what you are working on now. Sure, I grew up in the Midwest in the US of A in Illinois in a small town called Libertyville. Um, and I, um, when I was about 12 years old, 13 years old, I was hit and run over by a car which was really a, uh, a traumatic event. And I was in the hospital for about six weeks. And um, I really recovered full functionality physically. Of course, psychologically, it always takes a little bit longer. But, um, you know, ever since I had that accident, as I was growing up, I always felt a little bit different from people around me. I think when someone goes through trauma, the positive, of trauma is that it can really 
make you much more mature than you would have been otherwise, which is ironic because as parents, we try and protect our kids from trauma. And yet trauma is one of the few things that can accelerate growth immensely. And so we can talk more about that later if you wish. But from that, I always felt sort of a, a real intensity about life and a real desire to seek more meaning and really find something as meaningful as possible. So um, I studied philosophy in college at, at Tulane down in New Orleans, Louisiana in the US of A. And then I did some graduate work. And in my graduate work, I came upon a scholar uh, of Freud and Jung, who were two turn-of-the-century depth psychologists. Depth psychologists meaning they were for the first time talking about the unconscious or the less conscious parts of the mind. And that really, I, I, I got bitten by the psychological bug, as, as Peter Homan said, the scholar at University of Chicago who I worked with. He said, you've been bitten. And, and I said, indeed, I have. And so I went on to work with kids who have been traumatized to test my interest in that field in the real world trenches of every day working with traumatized kids. And I realized this is really what I want to do. And I then knew I wanted to get a PhD in, uh, in human science. So I, I obtained a PhD in clinical psychology. I worked with one of the world's um, really greatest personality assessment experts, Dr. Charlie Spielberger in South, at South Florida. And that was an amazing four years. We, we worked day and night together and I learned from, from a master. I mean, he's really considered a grandfather of psychology. And from there, I went on to work clinically and increasingly I'm working with those who are on the very high end of functioning um, as well as doing expert witness work um, in courtrooms, giving opinions on general mental health, et cetera. But um, one of the things that drives me the most is the question of how do we get someone from where they are now to reach their true potential? Yeah, I, I love the question. And it's one that I am constantly asking in the sports nutrition domain. So it's, um, it's a good one. I know parents, athletes themselves, are really looking to dig in there. And I was fascinated when you did bring up the trauma because it is something that I'm a parent of two young kids. I'm trying to protect my kids from every possible trauma. And you talk about the bulldozer parents or the helicopter parents, and I'm trying not to be one of those, but it's definitely something I, I aspire to, to, to protect my children. I think that's maybe natural, right? But um, what would you say then about the the trauma piece? Like how how can we use that knowledge that trauma leads to growth? And there's this great quote that you said, there's no growth without change and no change without pain on one of your blogs that I, I loved. And so is there something we can be doing as parents? I think that we should frame trauma as something that is, sort of an essential part of life. And of course, there's degrees of trauma. I mean, of course, we don't want our child to be hit by a car and, um, you know, in the hospital, that kind of trauma. But we can't control life. And it's important for us to teach our children that we should not be afraid of trauma. Because if we make them afraid of trauma, the message we're sending is, well, we need to always be in control. 
And that's not a message we should be giving our children. The message we should be giving is we are not in control, but things we are in control of are perceptions and our expectations. And if we can learn to have very healthy expectations, such as an ex a healthy expectation for a child to internalize, one of the best ones is I'm not in control of how my life is going to be, but I accept I'm out of control and I can remain focused on meaningful goals. And if that is the healthier expectation your child has versus being fearful of trauma, then whatever they come upon, they can see it as a growth opportunity rather than something to be scared of. That is very good advice. I'm trying to wrap my head around how I would actually teach that to my child. And do you have any advice there? I think one of the best ways to do that is to, as our kids age, mature, to talk about our own struggles, not in a way that reveals too much. We're, we're not trying to be the friend to our child. We're still the parent, but to share personal stories where we've made mistakes or we've gone through hard things and how much we've grown from that and yet how hard it was because the message we want our kids to understand in a very personal way, not in a textbook way, or we're going to sit them down next to the fire and have a fireside chat, not in a rah-rah, we're going to give them a lecture. I think those methods are really outdated. And I think the really new way to parent is through modeling to the child how you want them to be. I mean, I think a lot of parenting literature misses that. It's like, well, we can use all these wonderful techniques and what we can say to our kids. And I, there's some truth to that. But one of the essential truths is we're primates. And as a, as a primate, we learn primarily through modeling. That's how primates learn. If you look at any experts who work with primates, they learn by watching. And so what we should be manifesting in our day-to-day -day behavior as parents is an acceptance of when things go wrong or acceptance when things are really difficult and to say and to behave as if, well, we're not in control of this, but we're going to squeeze as much meaning as we can from this. And we're going to look at how we can grow from the challenge. Too many parents are the lawnmower or the helicopter. And that's exactly opposite of what it takes to help your child reach their potential because they're looking for a lifeline to be thrown to them for, with every challenge versus if you teach them to be accepting of not being in control, accepting of the beauty of trauma, if you will, then there's really nothing they need to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. I, the modeling piece, I definitely have been a big advocate of, and I want my parents to be eating well, to show how the kids, how to eat. So I think that's a, a piece that I've been latching onto for a while. So I'm really happy to hear you talk about that. And uh, it, it's also why I say that to the parents that you can be these high performers in your job, in your day-to-day, -day, like your performance as you walk through your day and your energy levels matter because that's how you show up and you show the example to your children. Uh, so I think that that piece alone could be huge. But are there other habits we should be instilling in our children to foster high performance? I think the, the other habit is that parents should be very willing to talk with their kids about what they think their own weaknesses are. 
I have found that when I work, I'm originally a child expert and I'm still a child expert, but as I've worked with kids and parents and young athletes, elite athletes and, and, and parents of athletes and older athletes, um, one thing I've really learned is that no athlete can leave their family dynamics off the field. So what often is a major part of a work with an athlete or a child or, or almost anyone is really to help them understand how their reactions to events will often be very significantly affected by and influenced by original family dynamics and relationships they have. And this is not to say that Freud uh, what was the end-all be-all. He was only the beginning of really starting to study the human psyche in depth. But, but there, are, there are some valid points in terms of if we can really appreciate our own weaknesses and see our, what I call personality thorns, and we all have personality thorns, if we can recognize those, especially in the context of how those were cultured, evolved and influenced by family dynamics and just by relationship dynamics, we can help athletes or kids or whomever really come much closer to their potential because those are hindrances. Those mm -hmm. are things that suck our energy and cause disproportionate reactions to events that otherwise we could, we could handle much more calmly. So I think the second thing parents can do is really be open with their kids and say, well, you know what? Yeah, I do struggle with anger or you know, I, I, I do tend to be too perfectionistic, you know, and as they're doing that, what they're modeling to the child is no one needs to act like they've got it all together. And especially in the age of social media, where every kid is taking a selfie every 15 seconds, it's a vital message because kids now more than ever are trying to pretend and have a social media veneer of I've got it all together and I look at me again and again and again, and it's really becoming a kind of more of a narcissistic society with social media. Right. Yeah, I, I feel the pressure, even as I'm not a teenager, of social media perfectionism. And what I do love is when I stumble across somebody who's able to somehow make their messy life look perfect, if that makes any sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really get it. It still comes across as looking great, but they showcase the messiness. So I, I'm like, I wish I could showcase my messiness and not have it just look messy. But um, yeah, it seems to be a trend that there is a little spark of a trend that people are trying to be authentic. That's kind of what I'm, I'm getting at is I hear this, be authentic, be yourself, and which is not perfect all the time, for sure. Right. I think authenticity, the pendulum always swings in all kinds of trends. I believe the pendulum next will swing away from social media because I think people are starting to say, I've had enough, it's too much. And I think even for the younger generation, I think what we'll see is a return to appreciation for solitude, for real friendship. I, I do think society will kind of move back in that direction after Facebook has kind of ravaged a lot of human society and even the originators of Facebook have it came out not too dis not too long ago and said wow we really realized we really messed with human culture and relationships and that's the founders of Facebook saying that saying we realized we realized even sometimes when we were setting it up what this could do so um, but but I think other than those two things parents can also um, teach the child, any child, whether they're an athlete or not, 
that they shouldn't be competing with other people, they should be competing with themselves. And that's a really, really important message. Athletes know that best, great coaches know that best. Even if a coach, say, wins it, wins a critical game, the best coaches you'll notice when they're interviewed, they'll say, well, you know, we really need to keep working on things. And so great coaches, great parents, I think great people, they're not comparing themselves to someone else. They're really looking at themselves and it's a intrapersonal com competition, not interpersonal. Mm -hmm. And that's to say, it's always where, where have I been and where do I want to go? Not who's on social media or who's doing what and I need to do that. That just leads to misery and depression. But if you look at yourself and you say, where have I been and where do I wanna go? The focus is on filling in your skill gaps, which is what I like to call weaknesses. I think skill gaps is a much better term because weaknesses, the connotation is we shouldn't have them. Skill gaps is simply, it's a skill and there's a gap and we can fill it in. And in doing so, we become more whole. Hmm. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm curious with this, the skill gap idea. Do you have, are there skill gaps that you work on more than others with your performing athletes? There are. It's always sort of prioritizing. The skill gap idea comes from business psychology. It's it, it, these days, any CEO or CFO, anybody in the, in the C-suite, as they call it, the corporate suite, the executive level, they're, they're all going through what's called a 360, which is a complete 360-degree evaluation. They'll take personality measures. They'll interview people who work with them. It's kind of like being turned inside out and stripped naked, basically. And mm -hmm. you're, you're broken down completely. It's what every, every human should undergo. And probably in the future, every kid will get a 360. I mean, I would like to think that's the future of our race is, is really having that kind of assessment early on. But mm -hmm. I think with athletes, what I found, for example, I'm working with an Olympic um, swimmer right now. And certainly there's a lot of different priorities, but a consistent one has been working on his level of anxiety and bringing that down to the level of anxiety where optimal performance occurs. And we know from performance social science literature that the best performers have a moderate level of anxiety, meaning not so low they don't really care and their nervous system isn't elicited um, and not so high they're panicky, but rather that just that just right amount, it's almost like the middle bed and the three bear story. You know, there's the hard bed and the soft bed, and then there's kind of the middle, the middle one. It's like there's a middle bed for anxiety, if you will. Mm. And so that's it's always about prioritizing with athletes. And it depends on certainly what's going on in their daily life and or what's the bigger picture. Um, with, you know, the next competition and figuring out where they need to be in any session. Okay. So if someone is really new to the world of psychology or sports psychology and performance psychology, I'll even throw in there, how would you suggest that they get started on identifying things like skill gaps and creating a, a, a game plan for themselves to improve their mental performance? Right. That's an excellent question. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people call themselves consultants these days. I think anyone could hang a shingle out and say, I'm a consultant. 
I think that it's really important to look for a mentor of some kind because it's nearly impossible to simply do a 360 on your own to find your skill gaps and to prioritize. We can all certainly say, well, I know I have this or that, but it's really difficult to actually go all the way down to scratch the bottom of the barrel, if you will, really open the closet door and shine the flashlight all the way through and do an inventory of your, your so-called closet. And then to understand, well, how do these different problems relate to each other? And how do I use my personality strengths and assets to tackle these issues in a systematic way such that I can continue to improve my performance and not feel overwhelmed. I think one key way to do that is to find a sports psychologist um, and to look at their credentials, to interview them, to look at, say, if they've written blogs or books, to look at their history, to ask who they've worked with in the past, or if they can't reveal that, um, to ask how would they handle the kind of situation you're bringing to them. Um, and you know, I think that you want to look for someone who possibly not only has worked with athletes, but has clinical training. And, and that's not because I'm a clinical psychologist who's begun working in sports psychology many years ago. Of course, one could say I'm biased, but the reason for that really is, bottom line, so many of us have emotional or behavioral issues and for someone to understand the texture of those, the nuances, how do they relate to each other? How do they operate? How are they affecting our energy system? You wanna try and find someone who's really worked with people in depth. And often that means somebody who's worked clinically with people and has a very high level of training. Everybody in the world will say they can help you. The question is, how do you get the most bang for your buck and how do you get the best help? That's really the question. So I think it's a matter of finding someone who has a proven track record of working very effectively with the complexity of the human mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I know it's, there's a lot of different uh, people and methods being brought on to the market. I won't go through the different ones. Today, I sometimes talk about things I'm reading and, and looking at, but definitely a, a wide variety and not all of it is necessarily even aimed at the athlete. Like sometimes this is um, a broad spectrum of like for performers or people that want to do better. So we call them, uh, maybe they categorize as self-help uh, in that, in that way, but self-help for performers. What would you say, you know, to that? Is it, is it helpful to explore or can it be negative sometimes to try to go too far into all these different methods of, psychology that are out there? Um, well, if I understand you correctly, I think you're asking, can it ever be detrimental to sort of have someone use various techniques with you? Is, is that what you're asking? I think it's, it's just there's a lot of different avenues I've seen come up. Uh, there's, and in they're just interesting. Like they're interesting to me as an individual who's trained in the sciences and who's saying, okay, there's somebody who's talking about putting on alter egos and it's not a clinical psychologist, but it's an approach that someone could use for performance. So, you know, so I'm just curious to know your opinion. Is there any danger or like kind of caveats you would have for somebody who's going down that route and would like to 
explore different ideas or really are we going to get there faster in in working in a in a very like much more systematic way mm, right so I'll never forget when I was in graduate school, I had a mentor named Dr. Trevor Stokes, and he was this really renowned behavioral guy. And he said to me once, he said, you know, once people get out into practice, and he was talking about psychologists, he said, even if they start from different schools of thought, and psychology used to be brought up, divided up into schools of thought. There was the psychoanalyst, there was the behaviorist, you know, B.F. Skinner. There's all these schools of thought, right? And you had these people vying to say, well, my method's best. And what Trevor Stokes was saying was, the more you're out there practicing in the real world, the best clinicians start to look more and more alike. And what that means is, I think that for those really doing it well, they're using a very similar toolbox. Now, they may have different styles, and different clients or patients, if you will, will look for a little bit different style, but the essential evidence-based methods, there's getting to be, I think, more and more agreement about what methods work. Now, in terms of exact ordering, I don't think the science is so exact. It's like, well, you use this or that first, and you might be mixing things together. It's kind of like cooking. You can follow a set of principles, and yet for every meal, you can change things up. And I find with different athletes, it could be a similar, it could be the same toolbox I'm bringing to, to the workplace with them, but it's going to be using different tools at different times and in different orders. I think for parents or athletes out there in your audience, what they should understand is there is a group of treatments called evidence-based treatments. And anyone can go on Google Scholar and type in the word evidence-based or empirically supported and type in conditions they think they struggle with, or even performance psychology. And they can always type in the word review, which is someone reviewing all the literature. Other than that, there's a couple of books that really um, are getting at the zone and flow. One is called The Rise of Superman, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance by Stephen Kotler. I would definitely recommend that book. Um, and I think another great book that was recommended to me by um, Dr. Scott um, Goldman um, is um, Mind Gym, which is a really uh, excellent book that um, pulls together a lot of evidence-based techniques. But to answer your question now with all of that said as a preface, I would say there's a danger when you're going to work with someone who's from a school of thought. So parents, athletes, et cetera, ask your person what methods would they use to work with you and why did they choose those those methods if they say well i was at a seminar somewhere and and this person was amazing and i'm i'm reading their book now you don't want to use them that's one of the i think lower trained um consultants the higher highest trained people this is what they're going to say I regularly review the social science literature, looking for the most effective methods that social science says works. And I am aware of published research that substantiates the effectiveness of these methods. Now, obviously the other piece, other than being technically well-trained and up on the literature is personality. The person has to has, have a good, as they call bedside manner or, you know, personality. There's two things that have to happen for there to be the best mentoring, 
um, performance-based relationship, and the other is a good personality matchup. Well, I'm really fascinated by uh, the the clinical for sure because that's the world I come from, but I also am out of the clinical psychology, so I can understand how someone might be attracted to these different avenues for working on the psychological side of, of high performance. So um, it's really good to hear that, that reiterated and to you know, make sure that we understand that there is a science to, to this and sometimes it's not wrapped up in the, uh, the most beautiful wrapper. And I guess this is what we're trying to do with the podcast is make it more accessible. So uh, thank you for, for giving us the overview and certainly for giving us some insight as to how we can be coaching our children a bit better and, and leading them to that higher performance. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and just sharing with us. My pleasure. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Do This for Performance podcast. My wish is that you feel more empowered than ever to live your dream life. If you get inspired from this message, do share it with a friend. Do rate our podcast so more people can see it and listen and pass along this great inspiration we're all feeling. I cannot wait to share the next adventure with you. I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, so does getting the right food in front of you at the right time seem a little daunting sometimes? Well, a lot of times, you're not alone. And that is why we here at Eat This for Performance are taking out all of the guesswork from performance eating for all situations you may be in. Eating out, eating in, at the grocery store, or just looking down at that food on your plate wondering if this is the right thing to be eating. We have something that we would like to give you and that is our Performance Eating Starter Kit. This includes the library of performance foods that you could be eating right now to create a powerful result. Sound good? If you hop on over to et4p.com, you can grab our starter kit and start eating for performance right away. Once you have the starter kit, you will be well on your way to finally mastering nutrition for your sport using our four-step program. Have a look and definitely reach out to us if you have any questions whatsoever. We are here cheering you on in sport and in life.